Tonight, you're going to have yourself a real good time because another one bites the dust as we review Bohemian Rhapsody. Moving away from those Queen puns before we get overlooked on that, we're going to talk about Overlord, a new horror film that comes out in November 7th. And finally, we're going to talk about the latest news and a billboard in Disney begging for James Gunn to get his job back. P.S. Disney, please give James Gunn his job back. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk filmy to me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filming to Me podcast, the film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. It's the podcast that doesn't want to stop you now because you're having a good time and, well, you know the rest of the lyrics to that song. Speaking about greatest hits, I want to introduce to you my co-host for this evening. You may know him as John, but to me, he's my Brian May. Deska, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> Amazing. I love the Queen puns. How long did it take you to come up with that? I was trying to think of a Queen pun to answer there. I'd say something that makes me say Killer Queen. (laughs) Um, I don't know, but another one bites the dust. Anyway, speaking of which, shall we just crack straight into our first review? Fortune favours the bold. Freddie, concerning your private life. What more do you need to know? I make music. I want to give the audience a song that they can perform. Bohemian Rhapsody, it's a biopic that's had about 10 years in terms of development hell. Uh, A number of producers, a number of developers have been involved in this, but finally we got it to the silver screen. This is an adaptation that is basically taking the story of Freddie Mercury from the years 1970 up till just after Live 8 and everything that happens in between. Um, Now originally, as mentioned before, this film was in development hell. Originally, Sasha Baron Cohen was lined up to be the play the man himself, but uh, due to creative differences uh, with Brian May in particular who is a producer on this film they parted ways now also the director Brian Singer about halfway through production um, decided well didn't decide he was fired by 21st Century Fox um, for not turning up and uh, a lot of other things uh, personal crisis basically going on so by a lot of accounts this movie A uh, probably shouldn't be very good and also uh, didn't have the right man in the star role John on the basis of that, how did you feel about this film? <laughs> I was, well, let's talk about going into it, shall we? Because we looked at each other at the start and we both, it was a look of, we're just doing this because we sort of have to, right? And then I'd say halfway through, we're probably, it's, it's getting better, it's getting better. And by the end, we were both completely sold. I looked at the running time of this, 135 minutes, and I thought, what on earth is this? How is this justifying being that long? But uh, let's go straight into it. By the end, me and you were both solidly, this is a five out of five, incredible. We absolutely loved it. Um, it sent me on a bit of a, a bit of a Freddie Mercury YouTube bender afterwards because I had to see how he spoke because I'd never heard the man speak I realised so I wanted to see the portrayal and one thing that struck me was Sasha Baron Cohen and Freddie Mercury look identical Uh, and yeah they uh, he looks especially him talking it's definitely uh, easy to see why he was lined up for it Um, and obviously me being a massive fan of Cohen I was really disappointed as I've said on this uh, podcast when he when he sort of was dropped from it all 
But, I mean, I feel completely stupid because the whole film was vindicated in all its decisions and I can't believe it had the issues it did because it was absolutely fantastic. I agree with you. Um, I don't want to spend too much time focusing on uh, Sasha Baron Cohen because I want to talk about the guy who played Freddy in this film, but I do agree that it did feel like we were both letting ourselves in for disappointment when, um, you know, the original casting uh, changed hands. But let's talk about Rami Malek. You may know him as uh, the guy in Mr. Robot. He's also been in a few other films, uh, Night in the Museum, uh, the third one. He was randomly in that one as well. But he actually got this role about two or three years ago, and uh, he wasn't he wasn't allowed to tell anyone. And um, also on top of that, uh, it looked like the film wasn't going to happen at one point. And he was so nervous about uh, screwing this up that he paid out of his own money to move over to London. And for a period of time, he was having two piano lessons a day, having his own vocal co- uh, coach. And uh, he asked for a bit of financial help, but this is all off his own back. And this is before they even greenlit the film, like for this final incarnation of it. I mean, he was so nervous um, picking up this role. Who wouldn't be, right? This is iconic. Um, I think Freddie Mercury, and this film reminds you of just how good a singer he was, you know, flamboyant aside and showmanship and everything else this guy is a good singer probably one of the best singers i don't want to say the uk's ever produced because actually you find out he wasn't born in the uk um but he's one of the greatest talents i think that's been nurtured in the uk and and to live up to that expectation that's hard and we were saying afterwards we couldn't quite tell where it was where it was um where it was Rami or where, where, where it was Freddie in terms of the audio engineering. It was amazing. The, the editing, the mixing, it was flawless. You, you had close-ups of him singing and it sounded identical to Freddie Mercury to the point where you think it, it must have been dubbed, but it must have been dubbed so carefully and amazingly that you just had no idea where Freddie Mercury begins and Remy ends. Uh, and I just thought... He, I mean, visually, I do. I've always taken issue with. He doesn't look like Freddy very much at all. But you completely forget about that. I mean, there's not much he can do about that, um, obviously. But I mean, he's obviously put so much work into the singing and the performing side of it, and it's just like absolutely stunning. Uh, he's put his heart and soul into this film. You can you can see. I brushed up with the first half of this film um, because I read a lot of pre-reviews of this. I've spoken to a few people who managed to go to that press screening at Wembley Arena, which I'm insanely jealous of. Um, oh, mate. But uh, the reason why I brushed up against it to begin with is because I heard that a lot of reviews are going to say, oh, it's a paint-by-numbers biopic. And that's a lazy way of reporting it because someone's coined it uh, in the first reaction reviews and everyone's jumping on that bandwagon. Now... It's not a paint-by-numbers biopic uh, for a couple of reasons, but I'll go into them a bit later. But the reason why I brushed up the first half of this film is because there's not much music, believe it or not, in the first half of this movie. It's a lot about the the meteoric rise of Queen, about how quickly this guy working at Heathrow Airport becomes the lead singer of a band, and within 20 minutes of the runtime, um, Queen are touring around America. It's very much about basically how they got those deals, how they were so flamboyant and so arrogant and managed to secure these deals that uh, they didn't spend much time on the music. And I was there going, I just want some tunes. Like, I just want to enjoy the songs I know. And there's a good reason for that. And it's not a spoiler to say that this film ends at Live 8. And this film 
actually recreates the entire Live 8 performance, which is absolutely spellbinding. It is The hairs on the back of my neck stood um, during those scenes, and that is why you don't get much music to begin with. So if you're coming into this uh, cold, um, go with it, because we both went in there thinking, ah, oh, this is going to be a bit shit. It's, yeah, it's product. We, we, unfortunately, being in what we do, we know about a lot of the production issues and, and knowing about the troubles this film had before it came out. So we were expecting it to be pretty average, and it knocked my socks off. The thing I do want to talk about and get your opinion on this as well, John, is that when the first trailer came out, it was very much accused of what of um, straight washing. It very much focused on the trailer did on his relationship with Mary, who in real life he was engaged to at one point, and uh, was always a lifelong confidant who he had live near him and and basically be close to him. And everyone was saying, "Ah, oh, you're straight washing. You know, this is absolutely diabolical." And in the actual film, Freddie, you know, for, for you know, in case you weren't aware, he was he was a homosexual and he he had lots of relationships and he lived the lifestyle of of a person who could go pretty much sleep with whatever the hell he wanted, as a lot of people would be if they were in that situation. And um, I I don't think they back away from it. A lot of people are brushing up against this, saying, ah, um, oh, well, it's not really going into the details. It's a bit too PG thirteen. My question back to you is, what did you want to see on screen? <laughs> like they, they they went into the details in my opinion it definitely yeah i mean it went into enough detail for you to get it and remain a 12 i guess um but i don't think it missed too much out but i mean the whole film it was very clear that it was uh produced by brian and roger from queen it was obviously telling the story of queen that they wanted to tell and i'm sure there's some people in in the story who don't come across so well who might take issue with their portrayals but <laughs> i think they probably justified the uh you know the right to tell the story and to pay their sort of due respects to freddie um but yeah i don't i think it touched on it enough and one of the sweetest parts of the movie for me was his relationship with uh, with his fiance at the time just the fact that they stayed friends throughout his whole life um and there's some really touching moments um i you know i, I will spoil stuff because it's you know real life so it happened but uh you know she went off and had a baby with someone else and he had to kind of be happy for her and and so although he was uh, obviously gay he obviously still had feelings for this woman and they had an, a really kind of touching relationship i think that was um that was a, a really nice part of the nearly really nice part of the story i thought it was well told and it, uh, i mean yeah straight washing I, I don't i don't buy that but people will get annoyed with anything these days as we know flinty <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, let's let's move on to um, on to the the music within this film. So obviously, we we said you know we've already told you that Live Eight happens and it's absolutely amazing to see Old Wembley and the way they've reincarnated that stuff is absolutely beautiful. But there are some really touching scenes where, for example. They're recording their second album, and they've managed to convince their their manager, who's played by, oh sorry, not their manager, their um their record label manager, I suppose, the owner of the record label company, who's played by Mike Myers, yes, Austin Powers, randomly in this. Now, saying to John, there is literally the only reason he has been cast in this film is there is one line where they're talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, and he says, I can't imagine teenagers headbanging to this in their car. He might as well have looked at the camera and gone, because I was in that film. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, there's a really amazing scene where they convince him to let them go to this farmhouse and record Bohemian Rhapsody. And there's an amazing scene where Freddie's at the piano and he's starting to get the lyrics right for, um, for Bohemian Rhapsody. And it's just beautiful how that piano melody has basically been following him his whole life. There's a scene that I honestly do not believe happened, but if it did happen, then, then wow, where he plays the first chord of Bohemian Rhapsody and only to Mary and she goes oh that sounds nice and he says yeah it's got potential and it's just like no nah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that but anyway um, it gives a great narrative for the film and never let the truth get in the way of a good story how did you think about the the little musical moments in this film well as a musician who's been in bands his whole life I absolutely loved that side of things I loved when they were in the studio doing silly things kind of trying to be creative I loved getting an insight into how some of the classic tracks came about I was absolutely fascinated with and I still am fascinated with the bass player uh John I can't remember his name probably quite <laughs> he's he's basically a recluse now who's worth like 110 million and has done nothing yeah, since Deacon. Queen John Deacon has done nothing since Queen um and he's and he's a bit of a recluse and he just looks like you know the regular old man with a fag in his mouth and I just think <laughs> it's fascinating his whole story because he actually wrote a lot of the hits um for them they all wrote and i found that side of things and the band dynamics between the four of them absolutely fascinating yeah definitely i want to give a shout out to gillam lee he played brian may now rightfully so ramley malik's going to get a lot of plaudits for this film he's he's fantastic in this absolutely but he's only as good as the team that he's operating against and Brian May in this film does a lot of the emotional lifting. He is the the voice of reason. He is the wiser shoulders for the band. He is the guy that tries to guide them. He is the one to know when to tell Freddie to shut the fuck up. He is also the one to sit back and go, you know what? I, he ain't listen to me, so let's just let it ride out. You know, he's that sort of role model in Freddie's life, as we're led to believe, because as John mentioned before, this is actually pretty much told from the perspective in terms of the writing of this from Brian, because he actually was involved in the production of this film, which leads to the point about, you know, how much of this is actually true, how much of this is more trying to honour their friend. And they talk about this throughout the film. There's a whole concept of feeling a belonging, being part of a, a family. And all the way through, Queen is a family. It's a family for Freddie. It's a family for the band. And that never, ever gets really tested at all. And I don't know how true that is, but I think that's more about keeping the memory of Freddie pure rather than going into the washing dirty laundry. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's so many moments. I actually, not a few films these days make me tear up. And this one, I actually teared up a couple of moments, which I was not expecting at all, completely kept... Uh, caught me off guard because uh, Freddie really didn't have a family in the same a conventional family in the same way as the other three the other three got went off got married had kids Freddie has obviously had a lot of uh, personal issues in his life and went off and did a the solo thing didn't work out and it was just really touching that they did all need each other um, and you know, he did eventually find love with uh, a man named Jim Beach, I believe, which they touched on just a little bit in the movie, but not so much. And it was just, uh, yeah, there were so many moments of uh, re really quite heart-wrenching moments. And what a fascinating character and rightly portrayed mainly on him. Um, 
you know, the other members of Queen, dare I say, might not have been so interesting. But a big, like you said, big shout out to Brian May. The guy who plays Brian May is unbelievable in this. He looks just like him, firstly. You could believe that that just was him back in the day. And also, yeah, he plays plays the part flawlessly. I'm sure Brian May had a, a big hand in the casting of that and must have had to double take when he first saw him in his <laughs> wig. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Look, it's a stellar performance pretty much all round. Even the, the guy from Jurassic Park, the little boy, he ends up in this. Actually, he plays the bassist, uh, John, for a little bit as well in this film. So, uh, I, yeah, I completely agree. I, I was blown away by this. About halfway through the film, something works. Uh, something is amazing, whether that's the vocal performances, those little moments. And here's the most important thing I want anyone who's listening to this review to take away from. This film does not end on a bad note, even though we know the ending. We know, obviously, it's a, the cautionary tale of a, of a, a life spent uh, at double speed. And you know what? This is just a great homage to the man. It, I, there's a particular scene where Freddie knows his days are numbered and he tells his bandmates what's about to happen. And the way he does it, it brought a tear to my eye. I thought, wow, this he's an inspiration in the face of adversity. This is absolutely beautiful. And this film leaves on a real positive note. Like, you know, they said it himself. They are the champions, and they did. They took their, They finished on top, and the film finishes on top. Uh, for me, I agree with John. It's a five out of five. I can't see any anyone touching it in terms of music biopics for a little while. I really did like this film. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Not many movies can get away with just having a 15 to 20 minute rock concert at the end of it verbatim and this completely justified it and you just I was just kept being worried that it was their last song because I, I could have watched it for an hour just the gig it was absolutely stunning yeah so five out of five for me too I've got to say when when he's on stage as Freddie Mercury he goes balls out for this like he really does in person because like you say he doesn't he doesn't necessarily look too much like Freddy. He's actually a lot scrawnier than Freddy. Freddy was a stocked guy. Like Freddy was was hench. He used to be a boxer. Like believe it or not, like he was trained as a boxer at one point. And uh, yeah, he's got a really impressive physique. And Rampy manages to completely disregard all of his his I suppose inadequacies, if you want to call it that. And he personifies and channels Freddy so much that you know what I believe that's Freddy. Like, the movement, the sound everything and i could have done with another hour of that film and john's right you know tell me a paint by numbers biopic that could put in a 20 minute gig and have you hooked have you entertained have you absolutely dying for more gutted that you weren't there wishing you could relive it again so yeah it is five out of five and definitely our recommendation you're a legend fred we're all legends news so john hello do you like polish novels that are kind of like lord of the rings or of game of thrones had a baby oh my favorite <laughs> well you're in for a treat then because there's a well-known polish series of books called the witcher and uh they've been around for a long time they're really successful video games in fact the third one the witcher 3 is an absolute marvel of video games if you read the book blood sweat and tears there's a whole chapter dedicated to production of that i highly recommend it but anyway netflix has acquired the rights to make a tv show of this and henry cavill a while back was cast as one of the main characters now it's just dropped this evening a photo of henry looking like the guy who's called Garrett of Rivia. They've got long white hair, but it looks pretty epic. Look, 
this is Netflix's take on Game of Thrones, Lord of Rings, that sort of stuff. This has got me pretty hyped. Are you are you hyped on this, or are you sort of nah? I'm dragoned out. I know I could, I could go for some more dragons. Why not? I actually think that I mean this is sacrilege, but Game of Thrones, as great as it is, it couldn't be approved improved. It can be uh, you know there are a few things that could be improved, and if anyone can do it, it's Netflix. So. Yeah, feed me some more dragons, definitely. Right, well, while we're talking about dragons, let's keep talking about dragons. Uh, Game of Thrones is doing more Game of Thrones, believe it or not. There's going to be loads of prequel shows that are coming out in the near future, and they've just announced the first casting of a prequel TV show to Game of Thrones, and Naomi Watts has been cast in this. No details about what the character she's going to play. All we know is that this is set hundreds of years before what's currently going on in Westeros so there's going to be no timeline issues or clashes or anything like that but I mean you know getting someone of the caliber of Naomi Watts shows the ambition of this show yeah absolutely I hope it's uh, a good move on her part I'm sure it's you know it's a big bold statement isn't it yeah um I mean I we could talk about what we hope for Game of Thrones all day but I for me I hope not everything has to be on a global scale right wouldn't it be great if it is literally just a small number of cast members in a restricted area for a short period of time. A real character development piece rather than a epic, I must walk up to the wall to see the king about the dragons and the midgets and everything else that happens in the show. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd love it. To- Why don't they commission you to write one, Flinty? I enjoyed that just then. That was good. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, John. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know where I am at Twitter. At Twitter. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I kind of I think there's a range here. There's a world, right? And it's not just the world. There's a history involved here as well that goes thousands of years in this world created in these books. So why don't we start going a little bit more micro? Why don't we start going a little bit more grounded, for lack of a better word? Uh, do you agree with me, or would, do you just want to see more epic? I think that's kind of what makes it Game of Thrones, isn't it? I don't know if it could, if it, it feels like it would have to be a completely different show to with a different team behind it but um you're telling me you couldn't watch an hour special of just Tyrion and Jamie Lannister just hanging out in a pub you know they should have done the episode you know where the two of the main cast get stuck somewhere and it's just them a bottle episode a Tyrion and Jamie La- Jamie Lannister episode where they're stuck in a cave or something uh, I mean, they that, they missed the boat. The hound, on that. Just the hound wandering around. <laughs> they they missed the boat, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Just the hound calling everyone a cunt. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Uh, still keep talking about TV though. So uh, we talked about this a while back about how Disney's doing their own streaming service. They have now commissioned a Falcon and Winter Soldier series. Now this is quite impressive, really, because they, it's Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan, very big actors. Obviously, their characters are huge in the MCU. Yes, John, gotta get some Marvel news in there. Um, so this shows that they're really throwing all their money at making an amazing TV service here, and that starts to explain why Marvel shows are being pulled from Netflix. Uh, John, has this made you want to pay for more Disney stuff, or are you still on the fence yet for this streaming service? Disney have made plenty of money. I saw a statistic the other day of uh, they've recouped their Star Wars and then some already, and it's absolutely billions. Do you remember how much they paid for that, and the fact they've recouped it already? It was like one point something billion, and they've already made, they've already made like three. Oh man, what an acquisition! Well done, Disney. Yeah, you know, you know, you know what else? They apparently they also had um, indie thrown in for good measure. Oh wow! Just just as a bonus. 
yeah, they haven't even started that yet, have they? So, yeah, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, like you say, they've already made their money back and they haven't even touched upon the works of Indiana Jones. So, um, yeah, it's just a license to print money at this point. Anyway, a, a Disney director, actually, um, Ava DuVernay, uh, lovely lady she directed wrinkle in time she has been snapped up by netflix to make a prince documentary now i love prince i i can listen to his music all day uh, i uh, i do not apologize for his batman soundtrack it is a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> um he I, i'm looking forward to this i think she, uh, ava's an amazing storyteller and uh, this is obviously a passion project for her and uh, it'll be great to see netflix's documentary take on on the purple one what do you think i think the one good thing that's come of all these amazing artists dying is the appetite for kind of people wanting to see see behind the character and uh, learn about the music because i can't get enough of all this stuff you know i love a biopic i love a music documentary all of that so you know don't die famous artists but if you do then Rest in the knowledge, rest in peace and safe in the knowledge that we're going to enjoy a movie about your life and hopefully it'll portray you as an absolute legend. So don't worry. Oh, I can't wait for a, bow, a Bowie pick. Like there's, there's got to be one in the works. A Bowie pick? You just coined it. That's perfect. Yeah. Speaking of which, Michael C. Hall's like impression of David Bowie, which is what it is really. When he he, he was um he was cast as the lead in the um, Lazarus musical, which is uh, David Bowie's musical. Really, he he helped create it, and um, he sings a lot of Bowie songs in this, and he is incredible. Go on YouTube, type in type in Michael C. Hall. Uh, he does a really good one of Life on Mars. It's beautiful. He does a great cover of Let's Dance. Like yeah, seriously, look it up. Um, Anyway, let's move away from that. Let's talk about some casting news. So, Nicolas Cage, Cage on Offense, <laughs> is uh, joining Kelsey Grammer on a Clint Easterwood-directed movie. That's How insane is that? That's insane. I, I, I don't know what to think of that cocktail. That sounds amazing. Well, Nicolas Cage is kind of on a bit of a resurgence under the radar. Uh, Mandy is absolutely brilliant. I highly recommend it. Um, he's also been in 96 other films, which uh, some are genius. <laughs> some are Nicolas Cage movies. And uh, I can't wait to see where this goes. Kelsey Grammer, absolutely brilliant actor. That voice alone gets him a free pass for life, in my opinion. And obviously, Clint Easterwood, if you think of some of the classics he's directed already so yeah all we know it's a thriller and it's going to be called the grand isle so i suppose it's just watch this space from that that perspective and uh, while we're in director land let's talk about james gunn a uh, billboard has been purchased via crowdfunding right outside the disney lot and it just says rehire james gunn people are paying money for this the irony is that this is actually getting more of a press tale than the bloody People's Vote March did a couple of weeks ago in the UK. Just a billboard, that's getting more publicity at the moment. But anyway, I support this, so rehire James Gunn. If that doesn't work, then I don't know what will, Flint. <laughs> also then, just to wrap up news, so Flash Gordon. It's a film of generations. A couple of weeks ago, me and Jamie Hannon, uh, the other guy who sometimes appears on this podcast, we went and saw Brian Blessed live uh, in Southend. <laughs> it was brilliant the guy didn't need a microphone he just stood there and bellowed out because i'm brian blessing <laughs> and it was absolutely incredible um anyway he it was quite charming how he was talking about his time on flash gordon and actually i didn't realize this but flash gordon isn't just um 
for one generation. It's actually been retold a few times, and Brian Blessed's version um, with I think it's, is it James Jones and and the like, and they were just doing an incarnation of that. And it's a story that gets retold again and again and again, and it's being retold again. It's being I don't want to say rebooted. It's just having another version done. And uh, the guy who directed Overlord, our second review this week, has just landed the director's chair for this. Uh, so. Julius A. Ray um, is going to be directing the new Flash Gordon. First of all, John, how do you feel about Flash Gordon coming back? Speaking about Queen, which is kind of weird, but um, and also about this up-and-coming guy taking the role. I fl- do you know what? I haven't got much to offer here because Flash Gordon wasn't a massive part of my youth, I have to admit. But um, I do like Brian Blessed, and I know that he's doing those tours just to raise money for his animal charities, which I think is really sweet. He just goes around talking for money and then saves animals with the money. So, oh, I did. He didn't even mention that when he was doing it live, but I could totally see him doing that. I mean, it's if you do get a chance, I think he's taking the tour um, outside the UK as well. If you do get a chance, please, you know, go see him because he has got he has got so many good stories. I think the only problem is that me and Jamie saw him. I think on like the first night or like a warm up night where he was still getting the material right. So he basically forgot most of the second half. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's Brian Blessed. He's always got something really interesting. It's something inspiring about him as well. But anyway, Flash Gordon remake, it is coming. Uh, I, I really hope they find a band to do the entire... You know what? I'm calling it now. Muse. <laughs> you're, probably, you're probably our generation's closest thing we're going to get to a prog band. Um, I want Muse to do the soundtrack. Let's start the campaign on here. Talk filming to me are pushing for this. Muse doing the soundtrack to the remake of Flash Gordon. Do you support this, John? If that doesn't work, then nothing will. There we go. Flash Gordon in Muse we trust. And that's your news for this week. Three months ago, I was cutting grass in my front yard. And the mailman shows up with a letter from the army. Now I'm here. No idea where I'm going to end up. Overlord is a horror movie directed by a guy called Julius Avery, as mentioned in the news. He has just landed the Flash Gordon gig. Fair play to you, sir. This is actually produced by none other than Bad Robot. You might know that as um, J.J. Abrams' production house. Now, when this film was announced, it was announced at a similar time that the paradox um, of the Cloverfield variety started appearing on Netflix, and myself included, uh, speculated that this film is a film set in that Cloverfield universe. Of course, it's the same production house. It's using similar techniques in terms of picking up films that have struggling to find a home in the world of Hollywood but no this film stands very much in its own right as well as uh, J.J. Abrahams is very passionate of making sure that this stands out in its own right now the premise of this film is that it's set during the second world war and uh, it's a horror film basically where some paratroopers have landed in a little French town and something's not quite right turns out in this village uh, the Nazis have been doing experimentations on its inhabitants and they are trying to create the thousand year army using some ancient goo found from under the church now if you if you know anything about jj abrams storytelling i applaud you to go on ted and look up this the call it's called the mystery box and it's about jj talking about the mystery is far more uh, far more encapsulating and magical than the truth could ever be and uh, it, it, he applies that logic to 
every film. You think about Lost, the mystery involved in that. Think about Super 8. Think about every time he has got involved in a project, there's always an element of unknown and mystery and let the audience decide a bit here. So this film doesn't try to explain much. It's a horror. I don't want to say by the numbers because this does do its own thing, um, but it is not going to reinvent the wheel in terms of sci-fi horror. The cast in this film is actually quite TV-based in terms of their faces you recognise quite a lot, but the main cast is a gentleman called Joven Apeco, who plays a guy called Boyce. Uh, Wyatt Russell, who's appeared in tons of TV shows, plays a, another troop in this. Um, also, a big shout out to a lady called Matilda Olivia, who plays a lady called Chloe. Essentially, this film is about uh, a group of lads who are uh, obviously paratroops into this town. There's lots of horrors away, some jump scares. It tries to work on like some classic tropes of classic horror 80s movies. There's a bit of body horror in this. And um, obviously, there's Nazis in this, being Nazis, very being very Nazi-ish in terms of their behaviour. And they get their comeuppance as you as you expect. Now, as I said, this is not in the Cloverfield universe where they could have easily tied it in. In, but they have decided very much to go against this we were invited to a press screening of this and uh you know thank you very much to the kind people at paramount for inviting us to it it was a blast and uh, and yeah I, I can't really say too much more without giving the synopsis um i'm going three out of five i that's a recommendation in our book um i did really enjoy the opening cinematics especially when they're flying over normandy and their plane spoiler alert gets shot down and um yeah i think the cast is really strong there's some really good moments in terms of dialogue between uh, the main cast boyce and chloe in this and they really do kick ass from that perspective and yeah it's just a it's just a good Oh, it's like a hark back to an older type of horror film. You don't have to think too much. There's lots of mystery. There's not going to be a sequel. It's just a good time. What do you do with those people? Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this as much as we've enjoyed making it, please click on the like, subscribe, whatever button it means that you get more content from Talk Filmy to Me. I have been Adam Flint. You can find us on Twitter at Talk Filmy to Me. John, my boy, how can people find you? You can find me on Twitter also at Descamento. There you go. So, actually, why have we still got you? If you've come this far in, why don't you subscribe to us? Or even better yet, tell someone else about us. The more people you get to subscribe, the more people that we get to make content for, and the more sponsors ships we get the more prizes we get the more screenings we get you get how it goes we get bigger and better but we only get better if you guys give us feedback so please give us a comment or two in the box below anyway till next time stay filmy bye bye we're down in the basement we'll lock the cellar door and baby talk filmy to me